Welcome to Off the Bench with Danny Cannell. Danny Cannell. Back to throw versus Danny. Pete is tight end. And Raja Bell. Bell has done three three. 22 to Raja. It's all the future of football right before your eyes. Just yell it out, man. He can't guard me. All right, what's going on? Welcome to Cannell and Bell. Hanging out here on Hump Day with my man Tommy Tran in for Raja, who's still got load management. He's back tomorrow. He had a little vacation, much-deserved vacation for uh, Raja. doing some family time. Yeah. But Tommy's in with us, so good to have you in, man. Always fun when you're on the show. We got a big show lined up. We're going to do a little bit on the NFL replay, which has been uh, changed to include uh, pass interference. We'll get both of our thoughts on that. Chip Patterson's going to come in a little bit later. Yep. I uh, I have a question for him about Florida State versus Gonzaga. There's something about that game that is really terrifying me as a Florida State uh, graduate and fan of the basketball team uh, that I'm very scared about. So I'm going to see if he's on the same page. But where we need to start is not the NFL uh, owners meetings which are taking place in Phoenix right now but i didn't i wasn't aware that we had our very own bobby axelrod right here our very own bobby axelrod right here in the office in fort lauderdale do you a fan of billions no oh so that's why you don't know i was like like who is bobby Rax- so bobby axelrod is a hedge fund manager one of the wealthiest dudes in the country okay. who is well known like he doesn't dress up that much but if he did i guarantee you he'd have a tailor that would come to his place <laughs> oh, of work and uh, and make sure he has the perfectly wow. tailored suits because all of us were like we're just you know all working hard just trying to make a living you know getting our suits off the rack at tj maxx or wherever it is and you have your own stylist who's in here, like in your own personal wardrobe room. You're getting tailored, measured up perfectly for this custom-made suit. It must be nice. No, well, first off, a couple things. Now, now I wish I got the reference there because I was like, where are you guys going with this thing right now? <laughs> All right, so for first off, um, off-the-rack suits do not work for me. I have, like, bad posture. I have, like, the worst time. Like, I have the neck roll. Like, people have bad neck rolls. I have, like, the worst neck roll <laughs> in the history of mankind. And I'm just trying to look like a good like you. I mean, you're not wearing <laughs> yeah. your suit now, but like Brady, uh, David Sampson's got a nice. Right. Like, so here's the deal. I'm dabbling in just one sport coat and, yeah. and seeing how it goes. And here's another thing too. And, and if we're gonna go off, we might as well go all out on this stuff. So, so obviously off the rack, like yeah, like I have I have really square shoulders too, which which prevents me from having like going to just like a department store and just buying them. Right. And actually having them be okay. And I've even done the made to measure. So there's like three different tiers, right? There's, oh yeah. There's the off the racks. There's the made to measures, which helps. A Aren't those bit. custom made? Aren't well, see, those? they're not custom. See, that's the difference. Like the the made to measure, they they basically have four or five shells, like four or five different silhouettes, and you try on the jacket. So I went to I went to the mall and I I, I did that as well. I went to one of the stores that does made to measure, and you go and you try some shells, and they kind of work, but they're not quite right. So this is the one time I'm gonna dabble, and I'm I'm obviously paying a little bit more of a premium, um, but I'm gonna try this one sport coat custom, which is legit custom, and see how it works because I've I've had how such a bad time. Here? How much are we talking? I hate to put you on the spot, but that's what we do on Canal and Bell. We want, we want full and so, so I, so I found out, so 500? Uh, a little bit higher than that. <laughs> right. Like, over, just, like, it's good for a good, for right. a good sports well, coach. And that, yeah, it's think? around, it's around six or seven. Oh, so that's like, and bad. that's the thing too, right? It's like, uh, if you don't buy nice, you end up right. buying twice. Absolutely. Every team and every NFL team I'd ever played on, there was always a guy, a tailor that would come and he would come on, you know, Mondays, which is kind of the, the lift and, uh, you'd lift and watch films more of a relaxed day. And he would come actually do it in the locker room and guys would be lining up like, Hey, come get me tailored. Like, right. come get my measurements and have this custom suit. So 
it's a nice little uh, business they have in the NFL too. And of course, you've got a lot of guys big and tall, right. unique sizes, so they needed it. But the guy had a pretty good racket going on. <laughs> and, like he was like, you know, guys lining up in there. I was always like, nah, I think I'm good. Alterations always work for me. Oh, for yeah, sure. And, and they usually work for anybody, but that's the thing. Like, now, so here's the problem too. You can buy a, a $1,000 suit, uh, a $600 suit, or even a $200 suit. It's just got to fit. And that's yeah. the, at the end of the day, that's the thing. So if an off the rack thing works for you and all you have to do is, you know, is, you know, taper it down to the bottom, shorten it up a little bit, maybe a little bit of a neck roll, then you're fine. I just am in a really bad position. I've spent, I've actually spent a lot of money on suits that I can't wear anymore or end up having to donate. So I'm just in a position now where I'm like, look, I want to invest in probably three, four, five, rotate it, give the illusion that I'm coming right. up with you. Yeah, just switch and, up the and, ties and, and the undershirt. Exactly. And, 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 and now we're also in a position where you don't have to buy full suits. You just go with the chinos at the bottom. Yep. You go blue, you go gray, you go beige, yep. and then you switch it up. And then See that? That's what we do on Canel and Bell. It's not only sports. It's fashion. We give dating advice, parenting advice when Raja's in. We got you covered. Everything yeah, so that, right that jacket's coming down. in like May. So when right. it comes in, I'll uh, – Oh, yeah. We'll have I a fashion show. That. We'll have to get a review on that and see what the uh, – is coming from you. All right. It's all from Tommy. All right, let's keep it rolling here because I know Coco's like, come on, let's do, let's do something. Let's move on to the, uh, uh, to the, to the rundown. All right, so the NFL owners meeting is taking place in Phoenix right now in Arizona. There was an outstanding picture there. I don't know if you saw it of all, I think, mm-hmm. I don't know if they had every single coach. I think there might have been one missing, but they had every coach. They sit them up every year. It's like an annual tradition and they have all the coaches lined up and you talk about bad fashion. Like I wasn't even planning on going there, yeah. but some of the worst, like, NFL coaches as a whole do not care what they look so they like. They took a team picture. A team it's picture. Like, it's like just teams all do before coaches. bowl games. Like they yeah. just laid up. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So it's sitting row and up sit. top. And like Freddie Kitchens, Freddie Kitchens, the new uh, Cleveland Brown head coach, is okay. like you know he's big. He's got like a Cleveland Browns hat on. Some guys have like a jacket, not a tie. It's kind of casual. Mm-hmm. Andy Reid is right smack dab in the middle. He's the only dude wearing shorts, and he's got a flowered Hawaiian shirt on. It's it's a mess. Like if if any like fashion, you know. Uh, you know, uh, evaluator came and did it. They would shred him to pieces, except for Cliff Kingsbury, who is always looking pretty dapper. He is Mr. GQ yeah. in college. He was, it was my coach is hotter than yours. And with Arizona Carlos, it's probably not going to be any different as they'll embrace that as well. But Cliff Kingsbury was talking out there and he was asked as he's been asked a lot about his quarterback and about the hottest quarterback that's available in the draft. And that's Kyler Murray on Josh Rosen. Uh, Kingsbury said, no question. People have said a lot of things that are misconceptions, if you will. But Josh is a tremendous player. I've always thought, watching him at UCLA, he played his best football in a spread system, some similarities to what we do. He's a tremendous thinker, very cerebral, can throw it with anybody, and we take a lot of pride in building a system around a quarterback. All right, sounds like he's in on Josh Rosen, right? Hold on. Then he went on to talk about Kyler Murray. Uh, one of the better dual threat players to ever play. I don't know if I've ever seen uh, one that can do both things as well as he does. You can see the running ability. Mike Vick comes to mind. That type of explosion and escapability. He's a true drop back passer when he wants to be. He's a tough combination. Cliff Kingsbury is playing this perfectly. They're in the position with the number one overall pick in the draft where they're fielding phone calls. They're late to see, hey, what offers are coming our way. I don't think they're... And they've been very coy about this, and this is why I think he's playing it, because he's he's lifting up Josh Rosen in case they don't get Kyler Murray, and yet he's pumping up Kyler Murray to see, hey, we are we're kind of listening. If you want to bring an offer, bring a good one, and maybe we'll listen. I think he's playing it exactly the way he should play. No, and you're right, and you're kind of covering all your bases. You're trying to figure out, and again, when you have these situations where – you know, we talked about, remember, with the Raiders last year, it's like, what are you going to get for Khalil Mack? What are you going to get for Amari Cooper? Oh, no one's ever going to give up a one for Amari Cooper. It only takes one team, and it ended up being the Cowboys and obviously the Bears for Khalil Mack. You just need that one team to, to bite into what you're selling. 
And I think with Kingsbury, we had Brady Quinn on HQ and we we're talking about, he's about, said about a 50-50 proposition. The only thing for me is that, again, when we talk about the, the structure of the Arizona Cardinals with Steve Kime and then they went the year with Wilkes and then they just rebooted right away. You just feel like Josh Rosen's just hanging out there and you don't know. I mean, he could be a Kingsbury guy and I'm sure Kingsbury, and we've talked about like, he can adjust his offense to fit what Josh Rosen brings to the table. But you got to think at the end of the day, if Kingsbury really went to Kime or really went to the Bidwells and said, I really like Kyler Murray. There's just, and they have the number one pick where they're in a position of power. You worry later about what Josh Rosen can get you in return. I have a hunch that Josh Rosen is ticked off about all of this conversation. And I do think if they believed in Josh Rosen, really believed in him, they would have silenced this right off the get-go. The fact that they've uh, heaped so much praise on Kyler Murray and kind of left that door open tells me that they're not sold on Josh Rosen. I think Josh Rosen is probably, he was one of the most talented, gifted, natural passers of the football coming out of last year's class when he had the five first-round picks. I don't know if he has the intangibles. I think there's a very good chance that he's the next Jay Cutler. That he's a guy who has all the physical abilities, but he's not the best leader. He doesn't exactly endear his teammates toward him. When he was at UCLA, there was a lot of reports that came out where, you know, he was selfish. He loves speaking his mind. He even, Mm -hmm. you know, there was a piece, I can't remember if it was Yahoo or Bleacher Report, one of the two. And he came out and he was like, hey, I'm different than everybody else. I'm going to tell you how it really is. And, you know, he was talking about paying players, which, you know, again, everybody has their opinion and they can voice it. But do you want your franchise quarterback as this guy who's kind of pounding his chest saying, I'm going to be different than, I think that was his quote. I am not like every other quarterback. I'm going to speak my mind. You can't really be that in today's game. And that scares off a lot of franchises. Then when he got drafted, I don't know if you remember this, Tommy, but he came out and he kind of put on blast the other quarterbacks that got drafted ahead of him. Very much so. And it wasn't, it wasn't so much him saying, I'm going to prove everybody wrong. And because of where I got drafted, it was like, those guys are trash. I'm better. And I didn't love the way that came off. I think one of the reasons the Cardinals are willing to move on from him is because they've seen him for a year. And personality-wise, I think he's a little abrasive and he's got a little punk in him that he still hasn't grown out of. But that's what scares me because, again, Kingsbury's new, but Kime is not. And so you say they've seen a year from him, then they should have been done better due diligence in the draft prep work and drafting him. And I remember that point when you're talking about the draft, and he kind of backtracked. Maybe he had to backtrack a little bit. Yes. He was just like, you're all going to regret take, not taking yes. me. And then he was like, well, no, well, I mean, sounded I like the quarterbacks. Yeah. Exactly. And so, and now look at the, all the first round quarterbacks. They're all leading their franchise. They're all going to year two with high hopes, some more than others, but Jackson, Allen, uh, Mayfield, and Darnold, they're all now in a position where they're at least on the up and up, and then you got Josh Rosen again. What about me? And to your point, it's like he's going to sit there. He already thought he was better than all of them, and now he's being treated like he's a second-tier, second-year quarterback already. Yep. But I do believe, you know, when you talk about a, maybe a, a carbon copy of Jay Cutler or Jay Cutler 2.0, I think that is an opportunity. However this plays out, like let's just go with the theory that Kingsbury decides uh, to want to go with Murray and the Cardinals do that. I think it is a very good chance to buy low on Josh Rosen. Mm-hmm. And like maybe put, New York Giants say, well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. put him in a situation where you go old school. You can kind of groom him like it used to be in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s and then surround him with some talent because the talent is there. Then you're just not putting the onus of leadership on him, which I think is the big question mark. With and, I, you know, I feel like I'm slamming Josh Rosen by saying he could be the next Josh, uh, Jay Cutler. You know who's Jay Cutler with a ring? 
is Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is abrasive. Sure. You know, he's not exactly like play, his former teammates don't rave about him. There are some guys that really liked him, but there are other guys who say, you know what? He's a little prickly with the media. He's that way. He's very arrogant, but he produced and got a ring. And so everybody's okay. able to overlook it. Totally. Yeah. There are different ways that you can win. So, uh, I think, but you know what I always look for if I don't know? It's Vegas. Vegas has Kyler Murray as minus 800 to be the number one overall pick. Now, is there a chance that a team trades up and, you know, the Cardinals move down? There's always that chance, right. but it does feel like... Vegas knows. Yeah, Vegas knows, and it does feel, I'm totally on board with you, if you're starting and want a clean house and bring in this new coach who's already a risk in Cliff Kingsbury, why not go for the home run and give him this quarterback who could change the game as well, the way Kyler Murray plays it? There was another interesting comment that uh Cliff Kingsbury had, which I thought was genius, because... We all I, look. I'm addicted to my phone. I don't know how you feel about Always. yours. I hate it, but I at least aware of it. And I, you know, my excuse is, well, I need it for my job. I need to stay up on business. Um, Cliff Kingsbury is aware that his players are addicted to their cell phones because he actually said, uh, talking about meetings and when they're doing stuff uh, in the facility, you start to kind of see hands twitching and legs shaking, and you know they need to get that social media fix. So we'll let them hop over there and then get back in the meeting and refocus. I think it's a genius idea. And as opposed to some of the old school coaches who probably are like, nope, leave your cell phone at the door and you get it when you leave work, I think it kind of does give them a reset and a refresh. I think it's probably something that other coaches should pay attention to. You know what that sounds like to me? What? Sounds like a guy that spent a lot of time in college. Exactly. Those young guys that are on their phones all the time and Kingsbury gets it. Absolutely it does. Uh, speaking of the Giants, uh, real quick, because we were just talking about, uh, you know, Josh Rosen possibly being a value pick for them. Adam Schefter uh, came out with a report that said the Giants could pass on Dwayne Haskins, who everybody assumes they're going to take with that sixth overall pick, and maybe get uh, Will Greer or Daniel Jones later in the draft. That one wouldn't shock me at all. I, I, If I was the Giants, I would tw- take Dwayne Haskins and just say, all right, enough fiddling around, enough trying to find value. You know, they've gone, you know, Kyle Laletta in the fourth round, uh, Davis Webb in the fourth round, enough trying to get value get the best quarterback available and have that be your future. But that being said, the con- and I don't think it's Will Greer. I think it's Daniel Jones because of the connection at Duke with David Cutcliffe and Eli Manning and, you know, Cutcliffe being the Manning brothers uh, quarterback guru of sorts. That's where Daniel Jones played under him. He's got a really strong recommendation from him. It wouldn't surprise me if they do try to sneak uh, Daniel Jones later in the first or even in the early second round and move down for him. Although when you start getting in that game, you run that risk of losing out on Daniel Jones. But that would not surprise me at all. It just, by the way, our guy Ryan Wilson's latest uh, mock that he put on Monday, he actually did two rounds, and he has Dwayne Haskins going to the Giants, and he said that, you know, Dave Gettleman and company cannot pass on on Dwayne Haskins. Uh, obviously, the team met with him before his pro day out in Columbus as well. So, to me, though, and I, and I get where you're going from with the Jones thing, I just, you know, you're talking about Jones. To me, he just seems like a, a, a high floor guy because mm-hmm. you're talking about all the intangibles the background the pedigree what he can be and you groom him i just think that look eli's a year maybe more and i know gettleman's been kind of pushing him but it's like at some point you you have now a second chance at getting a guy that you think has a high ceiling so that really speaks to how much they really do love Dwayne haskins because if they do think he is a top 10 quarterback the way the draft has been the last three years especially there's no way you can pass it up, even if you're going to get a quality D lineman, or perhaps even if somehow like Jawan Taylor, the offensive lineman, falls. And I know they want to protect Eli and give him more uh, support that way. But it just to me, 
um, speaks to how much they love Dwayne Haskins. And if they love him, we'll see him pick at six. And if they don't, then I think it speaks more to them than they uh, like Daniel Jones a little bit more. I think they're going to pick Dwayne Haskins, Dave. Uh, you know, Diana Rossini for ESPN talked to the Giants, and she said that that she was surprised they hadn't done any work on Dwayne Haskins, or at least that was the message they were portraying. I think it's an absolute smokescreen. I think they are trying to put everybody off their scent. I think everybody and their brother knows they need a quarterback, and Dwayne Haskins is the best pocket passer. Because I don't, I don't think if Kyler Murray was even available, if something freakish happened and he dropped to them, right. I don't think they would take him. He doesn't fit what they want to do. He's not their style. They're more traditional. They're looking for the next Eli Manning. They're not looking for the next Patrick Mahomes or the next Kyler Murray or the next Baker Mayfield. Mm-hmm. They're looking for something they've had, which is a traditional drop-back passer, and Dwayne Haskins fits that perfectly. So right now, uh, without trades or anything, obviously those things can change, right? So you're talking about teams that have picks ahead of the Giants at six. Okay? Arizona, probably going to go quarterback. Yep. Right? Niners, Jimmy G. Yep. Jets, Darnold. Yep. Raiders got four, but they're going to go probably Quinn and Williams or something because they've got we Derek think. Carr. Yep. You would think. And then Tampa Bay is going one more year with Jameis. So I don't know if you fear, and now you look behind teams that could trade up to maybe surpass New York to get a Dwayne Haskins. I just don't see it. The Jags at seven already got Nick Foles, Lions, Bills, Broncos. What about the Redskins? I could see the Redskins with Alex Smith being kind of up in there with his injury. I think his injury is serious. I don't know if he plays again. I could see them wanting to give it to the Giants too. NFC East opponent. They know they need a quarterback like kind of trading up there. And that's always a risk you run because initially in the draft process, I thought the Giants would have to trade up a couple spots just to make sure they get Haskins. Mm-hmm. But uh, we'll have to see how that goes. Uh, Giants coach Pat Shermer uh, was quoted as saying they want to find Eli Manning's success- successor sooner rather than later. Yeah, let's hope so because it's getting to be that well, For time, his sake it? too. He's not yeah. going to be able to coach uh, for that team much longer if things don't go well. Exactly. All right, welcome back to uh, Canelo Ken- Bell hanging out with Thomas. Are you a big soccer guy? You like I soccer? Big soccer. I love our man TR Thomas Rongas. Oh the yeah, best there is mm-hmm. not a huge soccer guy, and I've kind of made that pretty public there. And it's okay. A one-one draw. Like, come on, I need to see a game. <laughs> uh, Danny, enough. Danny, I, Danny, I have a question soccer. before we start. Oh, yes. Oh, what, what are you more what? of a fan of, soccer or track? <laughs> the reason uh, Coca is asking this yes. is because I actually I'll say soccer over track because. My daughter just took up track and field. She's 11. She does like this little junior team that she does. And uh, yesterday, I went straight from work, 3 o'clock, out to her track meet, which started at 3.30. I assume, like most sporting events, it would be done around 5.30, a couple hours. She's only 11. It's young. 5.30, maybe 6 o'clock. I didn't get out of there till 7.45, and it was because of rain. It got rained out. I would have been out of there till night. It was like a five-hour event. And the other thing, I have another dog swimming. I don't know what I was doing getting my kids into these sports because they take forever. Yes. And the actual amount of time that they do something is such a limited window because she was doing long jump. It takes like, you know, two seconds. Mm-hmm. She did the 200 takes like 30 seconds. And, you know, like the events she does are so condensed. Right. Most of the time you're sitting around there waiting around because there's That's so nuts. many events. So I obviously I don't have kids, so I don't have to worry about the problem. But back in my local days in, in sports television, like going out. So you'd have like this really big window to catch a little <laughs> bit of video for a track meet, a little bit of video for swimming and diving. But yeah, if you're a parent, like in their only maybe in one or two heats or meets and then like yeah there's there's a very minimal time you actually get to focus and the rest of it's sitting waiting and they really do use as much sunlight as you can with oh. stuff basically you're forced to whether it's rain or when the sun goes down is when you go home ranked worst spectator sports for youth sports track swimming soccer in that order brutal <laughs> that's my that's my ranking right there that's how you hold it uh 
you know what else is going to drag on is the NFL Ugh. because NFL games uh, now have a new rule. So the NFL was meeting out in, uh, in Phoenix, as we have mentioned a couple times, at the annual league meeting on Tuesday. The owners ratified a proposal that will allow coaches to challenge pass interference penalties, including ones that go uncalled on the field. In case you have been living under a rock, you know exactly what this is about. This is about the Saints-Rams game when, of course, there was the uh, non-call at the end of that game when the Saints got hosed. Goes on, Rams come back, win in overtime. Even though the Saints had their opportunities to win the game, I get it. The Saints were robbed. I have no problem. The Saints were robbed. But you know what? It's sports. That's part of the game that I am okay with. Even as a former player, that uh, the human error element I am okay with. Apparently, the NFL is not. They're trying to make it perfect. Roger Goodell said we don't ever want to see a, a call like that um, happen again when it's on a national stage, when it influences Yes, the outcomes of games, but it also affected millions and millions of dollars in Las Vegas where people are betting on the outcome of that game. But I can't stand it for a couple reasons. It's not, you know, they're not going to get any more challenge, still two challenges. Last two minutes, they're going to review it. But the couple areas where I think it's going to uh, be an issue is on Hail Marys, which they're all going to get reviewed now. So that's going to slow down things. On most Hail Marys, you can always, always call a pass interference. There's right. always a ton of contact. I'm really curious to see how they handle that because if I'm a coach, as opposed to even trying to get a field goal, I might just heave three Hail Marys from the 50 as opposed to trying to get in a field goal range and just take my chances that you get pass interference call or connect on it because the defenders are going to be scared. The other element that I don't like about it is pass interference is a very, to me, it's a subjective call. It's not clear cut every single time. Now, that one was, and you don't want to see that happen, but the chances of that happening again are slim and none. The NFL officials are pretty good at not missing that call. Now it happened. That's why we are where we are. Right. But there's a lot of artistry that goes in place for a defensive back. And it's, it's sort of an art form where you learn as you grow up and as you play defensive back to get away with some pass interference. And the best defensive backs that have ever played the game are the best at it where you can kind of ride that backhand on his back. You kind of know what you can get away with and what you can't. And in a league where we're already, you know, 5,000 yards is no big deal anymore. We have so much, you know, pass happy offenses. It's going to increase even more so when defensive backs are terrified. If they put anything on a, on a wide receiver, they're going to get called for it. So I think the consequences of this rule are going to be pretty uh, severe. The good news, if you, if, if I'm like this, they're going to revisit in a year, but mm. I just kind of know how it works. Once they start rolling with it, it's probably just going to be the way it is. Yeah, I know. Uh, we had Brady Quinn on our HQ segment said, ah, it, I mean, it's, it's a one year in theory, whether it's one year in fact, and they're going to revisit. I was surprised to see, you know, according to Sean Payton, Saints coach said the competition committee, I mean, it was unanimous with an 8-0 favor vote and that the owners approved a 31 to 1. That to me was surprising, just given the fact of sort of the, pressure or peer pressure or the boycott that New Orleans did although New, look New Orleans is not the big you know one of the top 5 cities in the country but obviously one of the more popular franchises just interesting to me that it just sort of went with such a knee sort of what feels to me like a knee jerk reaction yep. to everything and the problem is now you open up to what your point whether it's a Hail Mary or something else you open up Pandora's box you're not going to be able to close it that easy the NFL overreacts in general to everything like that's and I can't stand it cuz they're so reactionary I wish they would play ahead of the game a little bit 
more and get out in front of things. But you remember the Des Bryant catch when he was the Cowboys and they were in Green Bay and it was the catch rule, right? And Des Bryant had the catch and hits the ground and they implemented a new rule because of that, which they actually took off the books this past year because it was so confusing and nobody could figure out what a catch or not a catch was. That was another example where the NFL overreacted to it. And I just feel like that's where we are now. There's one thing I will say, um, and maybe that leads into why you know, the way the vote went down and what Roger Goodell said, you know, he said a lot of times we want to get the call right. And he Everybody also, does. and he also acknowledged that officiating is imperfect, which we all know. The one thing that I took from that is you, you mentioned subjective calls. And when you have Roger here, I'm sure you could talk about charge calls in basketball. Yeah. It's, it's a 50, 50 bang, bang. You don't yep. know what it is. It happens so fast. But the problem I think with, with a play like what we saw in the NFC title game, if something's that egregious, you can't have a fan at home say that is so obviously wrong or not right, and then you ha- don't have the opportunity to reverse that. I think that's the one thing the league probably can't handle. Is like, Wouldn't you agree, though, with me that the chances of that happening again are probably 1% or less? For sure. That, but that. it just happened to happen in the second most important <laughs> right. game of the year. Like, Imagine if it happened in the Super Bowl and, and that it'd be that way. But I think... The circumstance of that call, and you're right, the chances are probably, you know, we can run sports line projections day yeah. and it probably would be in your favor. I'm just saying, in that moment, you had the entire country, most of them watching that game going, that is a wrong call, and the league did not get it right. I love that, that Sean Payton championed this cause, obviously got his way. I love also, I love also that, uh, the Chiefs championed a change to the overtime rules, cause they're like, hey, hey, we didn't get to touch the ball in overtime. They tried to, uh, put a, put a, uh, an option on that where both teams, Possession that was tabled for now. Uh, the Broncos came up with another wild proposal, uh, which would have given teams a one-time option in the fourth quarter to have a fourth and fifteen from their thirty-five yard line as an alternative to an onside kick. The onside kick, with the new rules in place where you can't get a running start, only six percent chance to get to recover an onside kick. It was cut in half from previous years, so the Broncos are trying to look at solutions. I didn't love that one either. I think it feels a little bit gimmicky to me, but I think it will one day be there because you're probably going to get kickoffs limited from the game altogether because of the safety issues and trying to eliminate concussions. Um, you know, there's a couple other rule changes that were there. The blindside block uh, has been voted to eliminate all blindside blocks, not just those to the head or neck area, but to increase uh, – they were doing that, obviously, to increase safety on punts and other plays. Um, the block, the Troy Benson said the blindside block, it ends careers. Uh, it puts people on the shelf to have them removed out of the game. It's it, that significant. So they're going to uh, do away with those. Basically all the hits that you used to see on jacked up gone from the game, which, and do that you know, way. whatever side you fall on the safety issue, I tend to lean a little bit more old school where I'm okay. It's a violent game, but I do think it's, it's good that they're trying to protect the players. And I don't think it changes that much. What do you think about the one that's kind of maybe not important, but maybe it is. It's the, Voting to use competitive tiebreakers rather than a coin flip for most ties determining drafting order. So, for instance, if two teams ended six and ten, or five and eleven, I think they used to flip the coin obviously to figure out who would be essentially drafting seventh or eighth or eleventh. Now, or what are they going to use? Well, they're going to probably do some metrics of how you did against you know sub five hundred teams. Correct. So yeah, that means good. okay. So I mean, I, I have no problem with. It. Although, I'm, again, I'm old school. I'm okay with a coin flip. Like yeah, that one. Yeah, but eleven, I mean, twelve, seven. But eight. if they really want to figure out, like if they're really trying to do the draft straight line, the best teams to the worst teams, right. then you know, figure it out. And so they're obviously going to try to do that. <laughs> All right, welcome back, Canel and Bell. Hanging out with Tommy Tran, filling in for Raja. Uh, Raja's back tomorrow. Uh, we're hanging out. We're gonna get our guy Chip Patterson on here. You can follow him on Twitter at Chip underscore Patterson. He's great on college football. He's also awesome on college basketball. He's headed to Washington D.C. 
for the East Regionals. Always a good interview. So thanks for hanging out with us, Chip. I have a uh, trend that's making me very nervous as a Florida State alum and fan of their basketball team. 61% of the bets are coming on Florida State. 76% of the money uh, is coming on Florida State as a 7.5-point underdog. That terrifies me, and it tells you you probably should be betting on Gonzaga heavily. Uh, I know at Florida State's athletic. I know they looked uh, really good against Murray State. I liked them against Gonzaga, but this is scaring me. Should I be worried about the Seminoles against Gonzaga? Absolutely, but that's just because I think Gonzaga's clicked into another gear. When they get Killian Tilly back in the lineup, it's not just the offensive production that he can provide, but it's the fact that he gives Rui Hachimura and Brandon Clark a little bit of a breather without Mark Few's team having to get any kind of drop-off in production. I think we saw Josh Perkins after a little bit of a lackluster West Coast Conference. We saw him really elevate his game. But look, this is a coin flip game. Florida State can win. They've proven it a year ago. And if Gonzaga is not able to be really, really effective offensively, if this is a low-possession, low-scoring game, I think that really favors the Seminoles. But, I mean, Danny... You, you love this team. The question is, when it comes down to the crunch, mo- crunch time moments of a game, that if Florida State is in it, it's low scoring, it's a defensive battle, it's an absolute fist fight, who's going to go and get those buckets? Because uh, it's hard to know. I guess Terrence Mann is, is yep. the guy who has the ball in his hands, but there are so many more options for Gonzaga, so many more offensive weapons that they can use in those crunch time scenarios. i tell you what, I, don't, I like Florida State to cover this spread, but I think Gonzaga is definitely going to end up advancing to the Elite Eight. Danny, there's one more thing that you're going to be a little bit apprehensive about. You talked about, what, 63% of the bets, 71% of the money. By the way, the line opened six and a half and has yeah. moved toward Gonzaga. Despite oh, all reverse the line movement. Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, my God. That's never I might do the old thing where I'll fade Florida State just kind of as if, you know, hey, if, if I maybe right. I'll win the bet, but, you know, if, you know, go ahead. If they lose, it's at least a little bit of consequence. And maybe, maybe you take them first half and then, and they stick. Yeah. The one thing, and Chip and I have talked about it before, and Chip, let's kind of expand a little bit on the, on the Florida State side since DK is here is just sort of late game situation for Florida State. Uh, obviously, Leonard Hamilton's a veteran coach. He's done it for a long time. However, that usually leads to trends and habits. And for Florida State, down the stretch, end of games, they're not necessarily one of the premier teams in that department, are they? No, not at all. I mean, I, I love Stan Jones, you know, the, the assistant coach for 17 yep. years who's always been drawing up the X's and O's. When I'm at a Florida State game, uh, like when I was watching Florida State in the ACC tournament and it was going down to the, going down to the line with Virginia Tech, you just keep your eye on Stan Jones. He scribbles it up and passes it off to Leonard Hamilton. Leonard Hamilton delivers the message that the team needs. I, they, this is a team that I think they are built to wear you down. They are built to be able uh, to sort of catch fire, make plays and transition. And I just think that if it gets into that half-court set, Florida State's just not a very good half-court offensive team. It's not their strength. And so they they are more likely to win this game if they've got like a 7-8 to eight point lead against Gonzaga. Gonzaga's been really, really cold shooting the ball, and they're able to defend that and get it done at the free throw line down the stretch. Yeah, good call on Stan Jones, too. There was a great video that Florida State Hoops put out, and it was them all celebrating his game plan when they knocked off uh, Virginia in the ACC tournament, that big win before they uh, lost to Duke in the final of that one. Uh P.J. Washington's status for Kentucky. He was out, obviously missed the first weekend. He's got the cast off. They play Friday. Do you think he plays this weekend for Kentucky? 
If I was to predict, I would say no, and I'm just concerned about what the impact of not having P.J. Washington in the lineup, not having him active, is doing to Kentucky's coaching staff, uh, to Kentucky's roster. He's the heartbeat of that team. Uh, the fact that he came back this year. I mean, we, we're not used to seeing sophomores at Kentucky. We're used to them reloading every year. He's been a leader from day one for the Wildcats, and, and we were talking about him uh, like he was going to be challenging Grant Williams from Tennessee for the SEC Player of the Year early in the season. He had a little bit of a step back in the last week or so that I think prevented him from getting that award, but nonetheless, he was still one of the best players in a very good SEC all through the year. And so I I just wonder, the way that John Calipari has been talking to the media, his word choice has always left me with a, a, a furrowed brow. You know, what, what you saying there, Cal? You know, when he says, yeah, I, I think we, we should be able to have him back. I think the cast will come off as far as I know. It sounds like the decision making for PJ Washington's return might be out of John Calipari's hands. John Calipari might not enjoy not having that kind of control. And whenever you've got any Anything that's not like perfectly clicking and in place behind the scenes, it's really tough to think that that's going to be the team in a crunch, tension-packed moment in the NCAA tournament. You know, whether you're it's against Houston or whether it's against North Carolina or Auburn, man, I, I'm looking at this Wildcats team and I'm wondering how are they going to get out of Kansas City? How is that group that I, I thought could make the Final Four, how can you count on that? when maybe not everyone's on the same page behind the scenes. Here's one thing that I'm going to be looking out for, and again, Houston and Kentucky, they're like the late, late game on Friday night. And it's going to be interesting in his press conference leading up to the game whether he talks, and I know he's going to try to maybe shade the health of P.J. Washington and whether he's going to play, but if he starts really talking up Houston, I mean, like more than normal, then you know Cal is sort of setting himself up so that if they lose, he's like, well, I didn't have P.J. Washington. And his Houston team, by the way, with Kelvin Sampson, they're really, really good. He almost did that a little bit with Walford a little bit. He's like, boy, for a mid-major team to come and be a seven (laughs) seed, you know what I mean? And so Cal's really good at that stuff of deflecting and just sort of, look how good they are, not how good we are. And then if they end up losing, you kind of set yourself up for a bit of a parachute there right chip and and contrast that in that same region to roy williams after garrison brooks gets his tooth knocked out and he has oral surgery in the middle of the game and, and he talks about he's like i'm really impressed with this team's toughness i'm really impressed with the way that this team is able to fight and battle and, and roy williams is talking about a team that he's looking at and he's like well, we can go and win the national championship with with calipari giving kentucky so many qualifiers and hyping up the opponent i, I just I wonder if John Calipari is looking at not the talent on the team, but just the current state of the team and of the group. And in the back of his mind, he says, I've I've coached a national championship team before. I've coached Final Four teams before. I don't know if this is that. Chip, we saw a massive amount of chalk uh, the first opening weekend of the tournament. We saw all these one, two, and three seeds advance. Do you think that trend continues uh, as as the competition gets a little bit tighter? I think so, because this is a... This is a one and two seed line that has just been better than everybody else for most of the season. I mean, we might have argued about, you know, whether, uh, Tennessee or Kentucky or Michigan or Michigan State, whether any one of those teams was better than a North Carolina, Virginia, uh, or a Gonzaga or a Duke. But among that group, there's not many of the outsiders and that, and that's why I go and I look beyond that and like a Purdue team, a Houston team, a Texas Tech team, uh, LSU, very, very good teams. Any one of those could make the final four. I, I really feel like even Florida State could make the final four. Virginia Tech could make the final four. 
But, man, if you're asking me to pick one of these teams to actually win the national championship, to not only escape from their region, but make it to Minneapolis, you know, the biggest stage in college basketball, and win those next two games, I I just don't think any one of those is going to be your pick. I think that if you were looking for a team maybe that you want to get a long shot on, I would say the Purdue Boilermakers. And that's only with that uh, caveat where I am just wondering, you know, in my hunches of hunches, I'm wondering if maybe Carson Edwards is going on one of these really, really special runs. Uh, a Kemba Walker, a Carmelo Anthony, uh, you know, a Shabazz Napier, a get on my back. I'm going to carry us all the way to the title. His performance in the first two rounds, honestly, probably one of the most impressive individual performances that we saw through the first weekend of the NCAA tournament. We did not think that Purdue losing as many scores off last year's team was going to be able to be as competitive as it did. They're Big Ten co-regular season champions. They're here in the Sweet 16, and they're looking great. Matt Painter is a Coach of the Year type candidate, and I wonder if you're looking at a three seed, I would take Purdue, but I, I think that the national champion will come from one of those first two lines. All right, Chip, good stuff. Safe travels to, D, uh, to D.C. Tell Zion we said what's up. You guys are like best buddies now. <laughs> we are. We, we right. actually are. You know, we text all the time. We Snapchat. It's great. <laughs> all right, awesome. Have a great trip. Enjoy the weekend, man. Hope we get some good games. Uh, all right. Thanks, man. Y'all be well. So now I have on our rundown, it's time to make some money with Triple T. Who's Ooh. Triple T? Is that Tommy Tran TV or is that Tommy Tran the third or is there Tommy something else Tran? So TR, speaking of Thomas Rongan, was like triple T, triple (laughs) T, right? And uh, part of it is, yes, Tommy Tran TV. That's what he thought, which is true. Yep. Uh, Also, That's your Twitter handle for anybody that wants to follow. At Tommy Tran TV. Um, But also my middle name has a T initial. It does. So essentially it comes out to Tommy Tan Tran. Uh, my middle name initial too is, is Vietnamese. So, um, my dad, let's just say, I'm gonna let you know, is very superstitious, which is why he named me with all T's. And he's even told me that my children need to have names that have T's as well. That's how superstitious there you go. my dad is. I love it. Cause I'm superstitious as well. That's why I have the good luck goatee, which is on fire right now. I was on fire through the weekend. A little bit worried about Florida State. We'll see how, how lucky it is. Yeah. But speaking of, let's give out some picks. Oregon versus Virginia. These guys play on Thursday. It's a late game, 9.59 on TBS. Uh, Virginia is laying eight and a half points. Oregon's like the only Cinderella store we have left as a 12 seed, but they're not right. really a Cinderella. Exactly. Well, that's the thing, right? Both actually, you know, the funny thing is like both Auburn and Oregon, uh, five and 12, which are in it. We talked about how much chalk it is. Mm-hmm. Those two programs were top 15 or 18 teams preseason. Now, obviously, Oregon lost Bowl Bowl, and that they've had to relearn how to play without him. Peyton Pritchard's amazing, I think, and Wooten is a stud. Um, a lot of people talk about Bell and, and that Final Four run that he had. He was just wiping Ant Eater's shots left and right. I just think with the total, which is about an 119, which Virginia usually plays uh, slow, grinded out games, but they're going up against a team that has some athletes and stuff. I just think eight and a half now that it's ballooned, it's some good value there because I think they'll be able to keep it within single digits, and I think if anything close. Um, the Ducks and their ability to shoot the three with Pritchard will probably keep it close. That's why I probably I like Virginia to win the game. I just think Oregon um, has that shot there. And you never know. Maybe Virginia ends up Virginia-ing and right. they kind of you know Most let it loose right there. So I just think there's a lot of good chances with Oregon there. I'm going to fade you. I'm going to take uh, Virginia laying eight and a half just for fun. Okay. And uh, also there's a lot of money flowing in on Oregon. I think a lot of people have your thought process which Trendy might play dog. out. Yeah. Um, but also I think, you know, the, and I hope this trend changes. But, man, we saw some ugly games, blowout games. In, uh, in the first weekend of action. All right, let's move it on to Auburn, UNC. Auburn 
is a team that has been really impressive throughout another, they're the five seeds so or the second lowest seed. Um, they're getting, uh, five points against UNC. Who do you like with, uh, Bruce Pearl squad? So I, I also have to go with Auburn only because I actually picked them to upset North Carolina in my bracket. So Ooh, I actually have, look at you. Yeah. And I think, I coming. think they're on fire. I think they have the ability with Bryce Brown to shoot the three and really keep pace. And they're going to want to run, by the way. Did you, by the way, uh, Bruce Pearl loved him yesterday saying, Take the over. We're gonna run with them. Take, take the 163. I think it's been bet up to 160. It opened at 161. It's already been bet up to 163, 164. And Bruce Pearl is like, take. It's gonna climb. So if you want to jump on it now, like jump on it early, it's gonna continue. It's not gonna go down. I can tell you that much. It, it may peak at like the high 160s, but, um, as they say, get it early and get the better number. Uh, but Bruce Pearl saying we're gonna run. I think, now here's the only thing, right? Obviously, if they can't hit the three, Carolina is going to destroy them, but I right. think I think they're going to because of the pace they want to play up. The three ball will be there for them. Therefore, I think Auburn has the chance for an upset, but grab the points at five. I think it'll be tightly. To your point, ninety percent of the money is coming in on the over, so everybody's obviously listening to Bruce Pearl. I'll take uh, I'll take Auburn. I'm not going to go straight up money line like you are right. calling the outright upset. I'll take the uh, the five points for Auburn there. All right, how about Florida State and Gonzaga? Just lay it on. And me. We touched upon it. I think yeah. Gonzaga. I actually got it at six and a half earlier in the week. So the better. I, so I, don't, I don't. I don't know if I like it seven and a half maybe seven would be better hopefully there's some regression there but all the money all the bets in Florida State and it's still going Zach I just think Mark Few um, and those guys will be able to pull it away late I think you're on the right side and I hate it but you got to go no I have to pick the Knowles like just to win outright like I'm going to take just this is totally with they can heart. do it don't though. listen to it but I'm believing in the good luck goatee and I'm believing in Leonard, Ham- and Leonard Hamilton and Terrence Mann and company Welcome back, Ken Ellen Bell, uh, hanging out with Tommy Tran, who's filling in for Raza. Raza is back tomorrow in case we have. We are growing an audience, which is really cool. Like slowly but surely, we're getting an audience. We appreciate everybody who's listening, whether it's on podcast, we're now on Spotify. You can watch the show on YouTube and get clips on YouTube. Uh, if you just want to see little clippets, uh, some of the best stuff of the day, you can watch us on CBS Sports HQ, obviously every single day. I wasn't aware of how popular we were getting, but apparently Eminem. The, uh, you know, the rapper, the, the in case we've been, you know, everybody knows who Eminem is, Marshall is Mike. a massive fan of our show. Nice. Because he actually took something I said on the show mm-hmm. and tweeted it out there. So obviously he's been paying attention. The other day he was watching a, a AAF game and it, it was the Johnny Manziel game and he tweeted at the league. He said, dear AAF, please entertain this thought regarding the uh, Iron versus the Express game. Allowing the players to actually fight would be key to league success like hockey. I would watch every game, even though there is no Detroit team yet. Hint, don't blow it. Sincerely, Marshall. This is the exact suggestion I had just a little over a week ago when we were breaking down a hockey fight and there were two dudes. It was like the longest fight. It lasted like two minutes. We broke it down. We had some fun with it because Raja and I, neither one of us are hockey guys. Right. But we were saying, hey, Raja said it a couple times. Like if there's, especially with a fan, like let a fan go at it. I think that's pushing the limits just a little bit. Like if there's an unruly fan or a heckler, like let the players square off against him. I suggested that they have like a little ring off to the side where they let him go at it. But why not let players do it where there's some kind of code, like in hockey, where as long as you're standing and it's kind helmets of... Helmets off? Uh, or helmets on? That's be a good point. I'd say helmets off. You need to see a little... Either blood. or, though. It has right. to be one Either or the other. or, you but let them go out. it like swing it. And what you... if you let them do a wrestling match, like first one to take well, What's that drill out? in football that the linemen do when you put them in... Oklahoma the drill? Yeah, yeah that's pretty nice. one, too. Although, if you get if you get like a DB up against a lineman, not yeah, really going to work. Yeah, but CT is kind of a concern, so maybe they don't let them do that. Maybe you just had them like in a wrestling pose where they actually start off there and they're like on top of each other. I think Marshall Mathers is actually onto something. I think it would be thoroughly entertaining. 
I know the AAF, and, and I think Bill Polian actually replied to Eminem, was like, uh, nice suggestion, but, but then he said something to the effect of like, or no, it might have been Eversol, one of the other, I don't know if Bill Polian's on Twitter, uh, said, well, hit us up regarding an ownership stake, like if you're, if you're really interested, which sounds like Eminem is, I think it'd be thoroughly entertaining, but this seems like more of an XFL move than an AAF move. I was going to say, so we were just talking about the NFL league meetings and the competition committee, there's eight people in that competition committee. <laughs> the AAF is one. Bill right. Polian's exactly. the He's the judge, jury, and executioner. Right. It looks like he's laying in now. Yeah, I would, I would anticipate him being a little bit more old school on that rule. But Eminem, thanks for watching the show and uh, checking us out. As I appreciate it. And anytime you want to come on as a guest, just let us know. Uh, spring football, is, it's crazy. It's actually started a couple weeks mm. ago. It's unbelievable how fast it happens. The offseason is there. So Clemson uh, is having their spring practice actually started, but they do get some time off for spring break. Actually, when I was in college, Florida State had the same spring breaks as Clemson. Had a really good time with uh, Clemson co-eds back in, uh, in Key West, which was a really good time. Shout out Clemson. A lot of Southern hospitality shown there, which was awesome. But Clemson running back Travis Etienne gained eight pounds over spring break. He obviously wasn't messing around. Um, what was your spring break like? Oh, um, I gained eight pounds too. Yeah, I think I don't we all think it, did. None right? of it was muscle. It was all though. liquid weight, right? It was, oh, yeah, all, it yeah. was all just from fat liquid, too much beer. Late, late night eating. You he know, he did. Uh, he did clarify. He said the question is, what didn't I eat? He obviously had his cheap break. Sure. A lot of Popeyes. I went to Daryl's. It's a Lake Charles, Louisiana establishment that specializes in po' boys. Not exactly the healthiest. Healthiest. Said my mom. She cooked every day. A lot of rice and gravy. My grandmother made a couple dishes for me and a lot of snacks. The thing is. These guys have nutritionists, and everything is so fine-tuned when they're on campus. When they're away for an eight-day break, they're going to go nuts. Yep. But what's the scariest thing is when you get back on campus, they're going to run it out of you. And a lot of times, it's not just sweating it out of you. You're going to be puking it out because that was always the epic workout was when you got back from spring, tra- and, uh, spring break. And I feel like the strength coaches, they have this evil you know, side to them where they actually enjoyed Oh, I'm bringing it out of you. Like it was time to pay the fiddler, like all that fun you had. And I don't know, maybe the weight coaches and strength coaches were like just miserable human beings and they were just didn't have any life and were miserable over spring break, but they thoroughly enjoyed watching everybody just hurl as they're going back and trying to get back into shape. They're like drill sergeants and they get to see everybody enjoy and they, and they you know, the bellies get a little bit bigger and then it's their job to knock it all down. I, I think it's great. And plus they're really young. I mean, you, you have a chance to, to go home and they're coming off a great season. You, you enjoy the home cooking. You enjoy mom's food. Yeah. Then you get back to work. Now you're going to pay for it. But again, it's spring ball. Now, if he's still eight pounds uh, overweight there for fall camp, then you got some trouble. But right now I think it's all good. Yeah. No doubt about it. So these uh, spring games are actually coming up pretty quick in the next couple of weeks. Uh, so it's going to be crazy to see football back in action. Appreciate you filling in. Raja's back tomorrow. Real quick, we don't do this all the time, but I have to uh, ask for help from our listeners and viewers because we have somebody on our show who's really been dealing with a lot of pain and suffering, and it's our producer, one Matthew Coca. He really, it's you know, talk about epic performances when you look at the Jordan flu game. Uh, Byron Leftwich played with a you know broken leg on a scoring drive. Coca fought his way through this broadcast like we've never seen. Make sure you shout him out on Twitter at Matthew Coca CBS. Let him know you appreciate what his a grinder. Efforts, you know because he really is team player. Good stuff from Matthew Coca.